0: Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA Benchmarking Study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA Benchmarking Study is just one of many ways They provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com. All right, welcome to the RIA Edge podcast. This is Mark Bruno, Managing Director of the Wealth Management Group at Informa Connect. And we are very excited to have a special guest here today, Brandon O'Dell, Partner and Director of Business Consulting at the Ensemble Practice Brandon, thank you so much for stopping by the podcast.
1: Mark, it is my pleasure. After many years of uh, getting to work with you, uh, getting to join you on the podcast is more than a joy for me.
0: appreciate that. And definitely looking forward to digging in on one of the most important topics uh, that I know leaders of RAA firms are focused on all the time, but are particularly focused on in the moment. And that's uh, human capital and more specifically, talent development and talent acquisition. Um, we've talked with a few different RIAs over the last couple of months here just around some challenges that they've had in this hiring environment, whether it's compensation related or just about finding talent. So I'm really interested to get your views and your experience. But before we do that, Brandon, I'm obviously very familiar with Ensemble, worked with you and with Philip for years. Uh, But for those listeners that may not be familiar with the Ensemble practice, can you just talk a little bit about some of the types of firms that you work with and some of the areas that you're focused on?
1: Yeah, obviously, I'd be happy to do that. We We are very much traditional Excuse me, management consultants. We work with advisors on those key strategic decisions they need to make that start with their equity, how to handle it, how to add new owners, how to retire and have succession happen successfully, how to find mergers and acquisition targets and bring them in. But that's all part of a bigger strategic picture, which includes human capital and managing your capacity, which is where a lot of the conversations go. Compensation, how we pay people and those types of conversations. So in that work, we work across the industry. A lot of uh, RIAs are where we find most of our clients, if, if you will, uh, but a lot of work in the broker-dealer space also. There's emerging businesses everywhere, and per our name, which is the Ensemble Practice, um, the Ensemble Practice just to us means a multi-professional team. And that doesn't mean there's any necessarily specific way that needs to be put together. And in that, we work all the way into the insurance broker dealers and sometimes in warehouses, et cetera. Wherever there's a team and there's a team dynamic, and there's individuals viewing that they have a business that they're going to co invest in for some return of value, that's where we want to be. And so um, those are who we work with. A couple of things I'll, I'll kind of call out where we work kind of best with them or most directly, one is our G2 Leadership Institute, and it's sort of marries up the two elements of that, how we can help drive strategic direction uh, materially across the industry, but also shape the next generation coming up, those who will be the leaders and the partners in their business. And so our G2, G2 Leadership Institute is in its, I believe, eighth or ninth year, um, growing successfully with each year and growing in a class and a cohort that comes together. So we're very excited about that. Uh, we also are launching the Ensemble Practice Institute, um, or name to be determined, but effectively for the founders, for those who, I'm not G2, I'm the first generation making these decisions for the first time, and I'm growing through some of the pains that clearly other firms have, and I'm, I'm trying to work through them. So those are a couple of big areas that we'd love to enter, engage, interact with different advisors on, because they're great platforms that not only let us share, but it let us learn. We get to hear from other advisors, we get bring them together, they can share amongst each other, and we really value that exchange of information.
0: I appreciate that background and context, and it's hard to believe that the G2 Summit, I remember it was just a baby, and now it's 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 all grown up. And well, Congratulations to you and Philip on all the success that you've had. And I think you, you started years ago focusing on a number of the pain points or the areas that leaders of advisory firms needed the most guidance and the most advice. And it, it all, in my mind, when I think about what you do, is centered around growth. And there's obviously been tremendous growth in the RIA channel in particular over the last five to 10 years. I'm curious, we've talked about on this podcast a number of times this year, just around the war for talent. Um, There have been several guests that have talked about how 2022 is one of the most competitive, if not the single most competitive year for talent in the, the RIA channel's history. I'm curious. One, do you agree with that? And two, now that we're in November um, and the year has been you know, not what we're accustomed to, right? Um, there hasn't been a lot of a lot of growth, obviously. Um, and most firms have shrunk. How has that actually changed the competition or the need for talent in the RAA channel?
1: It's still super tough, and super being the scientific research term we use. And the reason for that is. We're coming off of a 2021, which was in many ways a windfall year. Really the COVID years outside of what March 2020 was, the rest of that had great growth to it. And it was growth that was fueled by clients or prospects looking for advisors. Uh, Many advisory firms didn't have to do much other than make sure they had passive properties. So their website, their social, social media, and other ways of having clients or prospects find you we found is a lot of prospects were looking. And again, it was mostly supported by the fact households had economic support and stability and they were growing. So they were looking for that advisor. And that carried through the end of 2021. And what we saw in data for 2021 is firms were more profitable than they've been over at least the past 10 years. So Mm. the average profitability has gone up. Productivity has gone up. And what's interesting about all that is If both those things are going up, it doesn't necessarily mean that firms were convinced this is going to last because if they were, they'd be reinvesting back into it and reinvesting in an advisory firm means hire people. And note, I use the word investment. I don't use expense, not adding expenses. These aren't just liabilities that are an expenditure that we have to do. They're not some obligation but it's an investment. So if we hire people, that that individual should help us grow, should expand our capacity, should expand productivity and give us some future that is different than what we have today and in, in a continued direction we believe in. But if we don't know what to do, why would we put money into something we're not sure? And so when productivity is high, we generally expect to see that there is more staffing that occurs. And the reason for that is as productivity goes up, it hits a ceiling. At some point, productivity can't just continue on. And what we mean by that is we can't keep taking on more revenue with the people we have. We measure productivity in the amount of revenue divided by the number of people. And those people first can be grouped as just advisors, which we just call professionals. If you see it in the studies, uh, or total staff, total headcount. And so as we grow, it would be great if we can just keep adding revenue with the same team. You know, we're a team of four, we're a team of 40, whatever it might be. It'd be great if we can just keep growing into perpetuity at that size. But the reality is, we can't. There's a variable nature to it where as we grow, we need to add more bodies. We need to add more capacity. So productivity has this inverse cousin to it, a correlated cousin, which is capacity. So when productivity is up, capacity is down. It's kind of the short way of maybe thinking about that. Mm-hmm. And so coming out of 2021, we see productivity is really high we see, man, they're really doing great, but they're probably hitting that red line. If, if we're if we're all driving our stick shift car, which hopefully a lot have had a chance to struggle through those trials and tribulations. But we do know if we're redlining, we need to shift, put the foot on the clutch and find a new gear. And that's sort of what productivity tells us. When it gets high, uh, it's time to shift. We're redlining. And shifting means add more bodies. We need more people around here to keep fueling this growth. But productivity is high at the end of 2021, but investment wasn't. So we weren't convinced of that. And and by high, we're hitting around, I want to say 680, maybe about 700,000 in revenue per professional as the average okay. across the industry. And every firm will have their own number. Coming into 2022, uh, and we knew we needed people in 2021, we just didn't invest in them. So coming into 2022, revenue's dropped a bit, but where's it going to end up? I mean, here we are late in the year and it's we'll, we'll still find out. We'll be down more likely than not, but how much down? Depends on how much new business organizations are able to bring in. The market obviously hasn't been helpful. But in many ways, we've sort of pushed the issue we had at the end of 2021 all the way through 2022 without much change, meaning we haven't shrunk materially. I I think there will be generally a shrinking of the average size in most organizations just because it has been a tough year. Mm -hmm. But it's not going to be necessarily enough that changes what we need structurally from human capital. And so it puts us on the issue we had at the end of 2021 continues. So what have we done? Everyone hit this level where they needed people. And now we've just held. And we haven't changed in a way where if we would have had continued growth through this year, I know there's been a ton of m and I bet there would have been a ton more because that exacerbated need of more people would have led into inorganic growth. I just have to go buy somebody to get that talent. Sure. So we've been yeah. in this position. I can't really buy because I don't want to take that risk, but I just kind of need to hire. And so we kept a lot of pressure on the recruiting channels. I need to bring people in. Not to mention, there's just been a general sense of fighting against all of what every other industry had over the last three years. We saw in our data from this last year that 58% of firms lost staff just because the staff resigned and they went to do other things. They didn't retire. They just left. I don't know where they went. I don't know what they're doing, but there was something better they went to. And that's 58%. Now, there was success. 61% of firms were able to hire and replace people that they had lost. So whether they lost them due to uh, just resignation or whether they had terminated somebody, they were able to replace a lot of them. So there's a backfill. But 70% of firms were also looking to hire new positions and they weren't able to hire all those. So we know there's been a high need. And my guess is through 2022, are they going to keep a lot of those needs on there? Because at some point, we all expect this to end, but it might take quite a while. We have no idea in terms of a down market and how long we'll be in a position where Economics are a little more constrained like 2022 has caused, but on the assumption it will come out of it. And I think as we keep progressing through, there's lessons from 2008, 2009 that teach us if you want to catch the wave when it grows, when this thing perhaps comes out of a lull, we need to be staffed. Mm-hmm. The firms that were successful in 2009, 2010, 2011 were the firms who got through 2008 and the early part of 2009 without having to let go of staff and were well staffed for the growth. And I think some of those lessons still live. So all of that is continuous, but pressure on that recruiting market, that there's the, the ability to find people the continue need to find people. And on the other side, more protective side, the need to retain your people. And as 58% of firms showed, they couldn't retain all their people. People are leaving. So it's real important of expressing what is your value prop to your staff? What are we doing for them? What makes them want to come here? What we'll stay here? demonstrate they have a career, they can grow, there's something that's ahead of them that is more valuable within the organization they're at versus going somewhere else. So it's created an interesting recruiting picture. I think you know my my philosophy is or my view is that it's put actually 2022 has prolonged the strain on recruiting as it is. It's made it, it's kind of a you know thing of elasticity where because we've been pushing on growth a little slower this year maybe decelerating quite a bit sort of like being able to stretch a band. It's not snapping because we didn't pull it so hard so fast, but right. we are really stretching it out. And recruiting is going through that elasticity of we're testing what the, bound, the bounds of this are with the amount of people that are available to us.
0: It's uh, There's a lot there that I want to pick apart, right? And we'll start with a couple of the comments that you made and some of the data points just around you know, new hires and also you know, some of the retention rates. We've done some research where we've seen you know, that roughly a third, a little bit more of uh, the RIAs uh, in the industry have added at least one new position um, in 2022. Uh, most of those roles tend to be junior, more support positions. So to your point, right? if at the end of last year, you know, people were as productive as they've ever been, but approaching that red line, they need something that will help them create capacity. So it seems like maybe these power planners, client service associates, are a little bit lower risk from an investment standpoint, but higher reward because they can help you multiply your capacity. Are you seeing that in some of the research and also some of the consulting work that you've done? And then the second part is if you're seeing turnover, what types of positions are the ones that are turning over most frequently?
1: Yeah, great questions on both. And is there, is there a, a model, a mode, a, a formula? And 100% yes. It's so clear in the data and it's clear anecdotally in, in the consulting. And so formulas are are great. And and you're talking to a reformed engineer, so I'm sorry, things are going to be formulas are going to be a level of rationale (laughs) that may be boring, but whatever, you know, if we can describe the natural world and equation, I'm who's not excited. Um, (laughs) I'm kidding, but uh, there is something of a pattern. Let's call it that because patterns can be art. So there's an artful side to this. There's a pattern that we see that is recruit at an earlier point of the career stage, develop and train. And then promote into the positions that you really need. So this idea that I need a lead advisor in the future, I'm going to hire a support advisor, a paraplanner, an analyst today. I'm going to train them, which will take some amount of time, and then I will promote them into the role that I need in the future. You know, uh, opposite of that, I just go find a lead advisor and I recruit them in. So this this pattern of recruit, train, promote is what we're seeing dominantly uh, in the industry data for a couple years now. And some of that is just by supply and demand. Are there lead advisors? If you could get one, you perhaps would just go get one. But that's the reality. There's, there's not a lot. There's also a, who would that person be and what would they mean for us? And how expensive would they be? First of all, you know, you're know you going to have to pay money if they have any kind of assets or clients that are attached to them that may come over. So they get, they get a little expensive. But if we need capacity, I don't need an advisor who's already full. I don't need to to bring that person in plus they're expensive. If that lead advisor does have capacity, are they going to operate in a way that is consistent with our workflows, the way we engage with clients, understand our vernacular, uh, understand our culture and espouse who we are? And those are all things that are kind of tough to assess up front. And so this, this ability to capture someone earlier in their career and train and develop is a bet on yourself. There's a bet on I can take an investment in and grow it. And there are more training resources. Our G2 leadership program mm-hmm. helps in training people through that path. But very importantly, the firms that are finding success are very mindful of that training part of this, of this formula or pattern or art or whatever you want to call it. So they they have a sense. I can go find there's more people who are in that early career stage. I can find them. I need to train them. And if I don't, I'm going to fail. This is where it breaks down. So I need to be able to pull them along. But training does two things. It is getting so the firm has the person they need in the future, but it's also providing opportunity for that person. We all want someone who is aspirational in their career. They're growing. They aren't just the person I see today. Uh, I, I say to this, when it comes to recruiting, you're recruiting the person you want in the future, not the person you want today. I'm recruiting for the position I need in the future, not the position I need today. So if we're always just plugging the dam, there's holes and we're just plugging them with the people we need, we end up with an organization that's always having to hire for the lowest common denominator and we're not producing any growth. And so instead, if we're viewing, hey, I have a really talented individual here who can grow. I don't know in what ways, 100%, but we can shape it. You know, People are, are interesting because we're not, we're not known commodities when it comes to what we're going to turn into. But we like challenges, we like opportunities, we can strive to those. And so retention then turns into how do you put those in front of someone? How do I put in front of you what you can do next that hopefully is motivating to you? And that's what a career track is. If I can get you into a, a starter position, the seed position that gets you into, into the organization, there's going to be some work you may not like. You're coming in as an advisor and what do we have you do? Data entry. Go ahead and here's all the things I need for a financial plan to be run. Well, that's perhaps not where I thought I'd start or where I'm excited. I thought myself as an as a advisor, I want to be an advisor. I want to be talking to clients as soon as possible. But well, we need to know the technical skills. This is a good place to start. But if I give you that opportunity, what's to come next? We can help your communication skills. We can help get you in front of a client and communicate them what you know. We can help build that expertise so you can actually share something that you know. We can get you into forums where you're around peers so you can learn from other advisors and learn more from them. So all of that can be part of the learning and what we're doing is we're investing in something that you want as well. So it's not just what the firm wants, which is clearly a lead advisor in the future, but hopefully it's what the person wants also. They want to grow, they've been provided that opportunity. And so the positions we see the most turnover are the ones that it's hard to express a career track or the career track hasn't been clearly expressed. So The the career track not being clearly expressed is sort of an easy one to see. You know, if you could kind of envision yourself, if you work for someone and they did not tell you what you had to do to be promoted, you get very frustrated. You feel like you're doing all the right things. No one's aligning your expectations. I'm frustrated. I'm out of here. I'm ready just to be done with this. Mm -hmm. And instead, I hear from the other person who's unsolicited reaching out on LinkedIn or LinkedIn itself through its algorithm is saying, hey, you might be good for this job. Well, maybe I would be, maybe the grass is greener. Maybe those people would get it. And so we're, we're competing against this unknown, which is silly, but that's, that's the reality of how people look at things and think because we're so myopic to just our own scenario.
0: Yeah. I I know it's never any one single thing, right. That might make people leave. Um, But I'm curious just because you brought up a couple of things and I did a think tank yesterday with a dozen or so. RIAs. Um, And one of the things that we shared with them is again, we did some research that showed roughly two thirds of the advisors in the industry this year say that they've been contacted by a competitive wealth management firm about a potential new opportunity, right? So two thirds of the industry is being actively recruited. The same time, you know, this group yesterday shared, you know, they're not based in major metro areas for the most part, right? They were in smaller parts of the country, Atlanta. Um, which is supposed to be a, a, a major metro area but you know Dallas and they're essentially now losing or have been losing a lot of their younger employees to companies that are based in you know, New York or based in you know, San Francisco but are paying people in Dallas or Atlanta New York and San Francisco salaries right um so I'm curious you know with all of that some of it is quantitative some of it is qualitative what role? has compensation played in turnover? And where are we now um, in, in, from a historical perspective in advisor compensation?
1: Compensation plays a role. Uh, the problem is I think it gets overheightened as the one and only important role. It's value that we're talking about. And so it's an understanding of value to whom. So money is money. We we can't spend intrinsic value. We can't spend goodwill at the grocery store. We do need money. So that's that's understandable. We need to pay well. And this mobility of labor and the ability to work remote has really neutralized a lot. You could have someone in the middle of the country working in New York, just as you described, and should they get paid what a typical Iowa wage would be or a New York wage if they're working for a New York company but living in Iowa? Mm-hmm. So it's it's location and domain and that's really been tested because most firms who are so hungry for people and need people are willing to take them anywhere. A lot of their meetings are on Teams or Zoom anyway, so they're willing to take someone regardless of where they are because you're going to show up on the screen it's going to work. Uh, getting in front of clients is a little bit of a difference in, in who the clients are and what your career may look like. So that that's a, a more of a complicated matrix to kind of work through as it were uh, of where really you could have a person. But conversation... Has to be competitive because what everything is with remote labor in particular, it's really neutralized or normalized um, geographic differences, and therefore, if someone's willing to pay something in one market, they're probably willing to pay that in your market, Mm -hmm. and we need to be competitive to that. And the risk we have is that we chase it, that we chase. Hey, I got someone's on my team is being recruited and being paid X. Well, beyond knowing the full scenario, that may or may not be strategically what we should do. It's, it's really a matter of what else is there included. And there's there's parts-related compensation-based bonus perks and other benefits, health benefits, and et cetera. Um, but there's also career promotion, path to partnership, and, the, and perhaps access to equity, which yep. has been too constrained, in my view, over the last few years. And it's made it so any firm that wants to transition internally has made their business too expensive because compensation isn't growing as fast as equity and the compensation you're paying someone can't get them into it. So if we're really looking at other retention, we need to broaden from pure compensation based on bonus and look into equity. That wasn't exactly your question, but I I think that's a part of what we need in our our hooks if we do have really key people that we stop holding on to equity so tight because what are we holding on to? Something that we hope is going to grow but won't exist if we don't have the people. So we need them. But on the, the compensation itself base and bonus, what we're seeing is firms have to mitigate some of the risks that's being had. So we're in a high inflationary market right at the moment, whatever the current number is, it's going to be in the eights or nines or wherever it is, it's it's high. And so we'd expect that inflation to make its way into comp. And because our staff is being burdened by it, whatever they were buying at the store is now 10% more expensive. And so therefore, the utility of dollars they make has just gone down and they're going to be looking for their employer to help them out. But what can the employer take in risk and will inflation continue on forever? Base pays, sort of the salary is kind of the guarantee component. If we raise that 10% or 15% to cover inflation and the recruiting and everything else, it's a competitive um, strain and therefore we need to meet it. Um, now we're at a position that what if all this goes away? What if all that pressure alleviates? Now we're paying more. We're not going to go backwards if that were to go backwards. Bonus, on the other hand, can go up or down. We can pay a short-term or even an intermediate-term or long-term incentive where someone's rewarded for a period of time for the firm getting through a very tough 2022, for firm performance that is exceeding what we expected, for individual performance that is exceeding the goals that have been put out. And then that can sort of set a new agenda next year. And that doesn't impact base because that can go back to zero. Now, granted, once we pay someone, we don't want to create a mark that we're never going to hit again and or have their compensation go backwards. But what firms are doing is they're balancing their own liability. If I add on more guaranteed payment, so effectively, if I think of salary as being more or less guaranteed, uh, that's going to go on to my books. I need to pay that for my PL. That really is a liability I have if we even run that all the way through to the balance sheet. I need to pay these individuals. If it's a bonus, until certain activities happen, then I don't need to pay them. So as firms are looking at, and this is where I think the investment stopped in 2021 and all the way through 2022 is firms say, I don't want to add base comp pay because that's risky. And we see that in the data. So the data that we see when we look at advisor comp has been pretty flat for multiple years, uh, really going back four or five years, but in the last year has been flat as well at at an industry level. And this is coming up into the inflation data, just the beginning parts of inflation. So we expect inflation to really have a bigger kick here. But what we're seeing so far is for a current staff, we're not seeing all these factors influence base pay, we're seeing it influence influence bonus. So increase a bonus amount, provide access to a long-term incentive, provide access to profit sharing, provide access to ownership, something that is in addition to, but doesn't change base. So we're not seeing changes in base, we're seeing in these in these other Parts And that's where firms need to get creative is what I can keep competitive with base, which really hasn't moved. But what can I do from an incentive perspective? What is a win-win that if we get through this, I want to reward that person or I need to reward that person a little bit more. Um, one other point on that is through our study you know, at the Practice, we have a, a poll study that we send out uh, to our G2 participants where we just get a reaction or take from them of things that are happening in kind of near term fashion. And one of the data points we got back is, and for recruiting, they're having to pay 15 to 20%, I think it was 15 to 18% yeah. more per, per person to bring in.
0: Mm-hmm. And that
1: person doesn't necessarily have the same experience as someone else. So if we're thinking we're paying 15 to 18% more, is that the market? And that's a part that's hard to say. That represents a recruiting market. But until it represents the complete market, we need to be a little bit careful. Now, having two classes of people in your organization is also very catastrophic. Yeah, so definitely. if I'm paying someone way more for the same job, it creates a problem. So how do we make that up? This is, again, coming back to base and bonus. Think of the two, how we can split them. So maybe base, I'm a little more conservative in its growth. I probably need to move it up some. But if the full amount's 15%, can I move that one 5 and increase the bonus, the 10% part? Or can I basically share a little bit of that risk that if this balloon were to come back down, all the strain that's being put on the market were to Reside, reside. Uh, you know my words, I'm, I don't. <laughs> if it were to come back a little bit on me here, West Coast man, it's still morning. Uh, if it were to come back a little bit, uh, perhaps then that pressure would be alleviated, and we haven't put ourselves in an economic position where we're committing to base pay that is uh, materially going to be above market at that point in time. So, being a little bit more measured in in growth and step of increasing base, use your bonus to kind of run out in front and then you could just keep a slow progression of that base going up. Base is a ratchet system. It goes up. We don't want it to go down unless there's something really materially wrong because it sends a really negative single signal to staff. So, base let's not be so impulsive about it. Bonus, we can be more impulsive. We can communicate that you're being impulsive. Communicate that you're sharing. You want to share, you want to take care of your people.
0: Appreciate that and I appreciate you just how hands-on a lot of that guidance is. It's very consistent. I mentioned that think tank we had yesterday, very consistent with a lot of the challenges that those advisors and those firms are experiencing right now. Just a final question, uh, and of course, we're coming up on year end, so it has to be an outlook, but how does this all play out in 2023 in your view? And specifically, how do you see the war for talent developing over the course of next year?
1: There's going to continue to be pushes on the middle. And by middle, I mean between probably a $2 million, maybe even a million and a half, but a $2 million revenue team or firm and a 8 nine, ten $9, $10 million team. So it's a pretty big middle. But I think there's going to be a lot of strain there. There's obviously a lot of recruiting need at the upper, so $10 million and above. And really, we're talking about $50 million, $100 million organizations that are up there but they have HR management that is world-class. They have really good recruiting engines. They're going to be fine at finding or developing people because they have that institutional resource. The push is going to be those who are approaching $2 million and are figuring out, what do I do here? I got to find people. I can't. And they just, they peel back. And what will be interesting to find out is, do they sell and just become part of those large organizations, which Mm -hmm. they may if that's the check. Or do they just make that the business? They just, they're happy with what it is. They'll just take the effective annuity of just working for themselves for a period of time and keeping it capped where it is, oftentimes called a lifestyle practice, but not in a bad way. It just means I can't absorb the next organizational change that's required to have the people. And once you've entered that two million and above, that you're constantly going to need more people for a long time into a new role you've never had before so it's not as if i know exactly what i'm recruiting for i just need good people who are savvy right. who are smart and you have something unique in your prop in your value prop to the to the recruiting market because someone could come in and really get fast track through a career progression really get access to opportunities you wouldn't get in a bigger organization where the, the roles are more defined but at the same time, there's more risk. What if it doesn't work out? Uh, what if someone leaves you? You have you don't have as much redundancy per position. You really could be left high and dry. And so they're going to be a vulnerable group. And so it the market helps a lot in all these areas. If the market's growing, we all feel good and happy. And we've just had that for 12 straight years. If we have a flat 2023, you know, let's just say where we are now, just the market kind of goes sideways or flat. It's That group is going to be the most challenged. We're we're not producing a ton of new advisors and we have more advisors retiring. And the tell will be if we start to see more asset sales in the next year versus stock sales. And by that, I mean, if we see a lot of these advisors who've grown something of a business that is approaching 2 million or maybe is even 10 million and below, and they just see, I can't continue to grow this or sell this internally. I just want to sell my clients. Maybe I have enough of business I can sell. But when I say asset sell, that basically someone saying, I don't have a business that I want to sell. I just want someone to buy my clients from me and I'm going to walk away. That tells us we have a massive shortage of the people around us because everyone has the opportunity to have some advisors next to you, help you continue that growth if you want to do it. Um, Everyone should have that capability. But if we don't have the people to do it, then it's 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 going to blow up on us. It's not going to happen in, in that regard. So the, the consolidators and the bigger organizations will continue to do fine just because they have deployment of investment capital as well as operating capital that they can put at this. It's going to be tough for them as well. Sure. But for those who are basically functioning on operating capital alone, it's going to be a, a little more difficult.
0: Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, You called the middle, you know, it's often called the valley of death, right? Um, So there's a widespread acknowledgement. It's a tough place to to live in sometimes.
1: I like Uh, to be optimistic. We're shining light on the valley of death. It's just the middle.
0: (laughs) I appreciate that because it is, you know, uh, it's a challenge when there's no growth for those firms to not only figure out how to navigate, right, but even just the recruiting and the promotion of their firm. I mean, they're competing against the firms that are 10 million, 10 million plus in revenue for the same talent. Um, So it's a a struggle all around. But Brandon, I I can't thank you enough for stopping by the RA podcast, not only offering your thoughts on what's ahead for next year, but really giving some hands-on instruction and a a solid framework for how a lot of our listeners can think about going through a market like this that is either down or sideways um, and continuing to be productive, to grow and really focus on thriving and not just surviving in a challenging year and market. So Brandon, thank you very much for coming by. appreciate it.
1: Mark, my pleasure. Anytime. Love spending time with you. Love what you're doing. So uh, anytime. I really appreciate this opportunity.
0: Thanks, Brandon. Again, it's Brandon O'Dell from the Ensemble Practice. And thank you to everybody for pressing play here today on the RIA Edge podcast. I'm Mark Bruno. Thanks for stopping by. And we look forward to having everybody back on the next episode of RIA Edge. Take care, everybody. Schwab Advisor Services is proud to support the RIA Edge podcast and equally proud to support independent financial advisors like you. In a challenging year, how did 68% of firms surveyed in Schwab's RIA Benchmarking Study meet or exceed their new client goals? By following key success factors such as leveraging new technology, adapting strategies to win new business, and stay connected with their clients, while also attracting and developing the right talent. The Schwab RIA Benchmarking Study is just one of many ways they provide you with the insights and resources needed to succeed and grow. Get the full picture at advisorservices.schwab.com.